0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Psych Movie Minute podcast. This is one of your hosts, Joshua Blum. I'm actually recording a little preamble before the main episode because when we actually recorded the initial part, it was almost a year ago, and we finally made it up to the point where we can actually include it in the regular lineup of uh, episodes that we've done so far. So some of the things we're talking about are a little bit, well, if they sound out of date, they are out of date, although in many ways in they haven't really changed that much. Some of the things about the pandemic um, are a little bit different, but in some ways not that different in light of some of the things that we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be talking about the idea of figuring out your future and moving on after a certain critical point. In this case, it's the university setting, figuring out what you want to do and moving on into the world. And many things about that have not really changed that much. Some of those existential things, of course, are going to be there like, you know, for have they been in there many, many previous generations and they'll be there for future generations. We also talk about some ideas about how people come to make changes and involve societal changes and a bunch of other things. So, we actually have a guest today. Uh, Dr. Anish Dubey joins us and uh, he lends a lot of great insights into the conversation. So, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the episode and thanks, as always, for listening well welcome to the psych movie minute podcast this is episode number 29 and i'm your host joshua blum i have my co-host here kathy adams and today we have a special guest dr anish dubai welcome thanks for joining us on the show
1: thanks for having me
0: yeah you know as as with so many people that we have uh, on our show that we're lucky to have on our show we actually knew each other beforehand and so uh anish you know we did our training together and everything like that but if you want to tell us a little bit about who we are what you do and how we got to be at this point
1: yeah uh no thanks for having me on the show and um so currently i live in california this is where for the most part i was raised i was born here and i grew up here but i've lived kind of all over including countries as well here currently i'm involved in uh, the juvenile justice program in Orange County, and so I deal with young people who've been involved in the legal system. I've had some experience in academia as well. i am trained in child and adolescent psychiatry and forensic psychiatry, so this kind of melds both of those interests. Um, but I also love movies, and uh, <laughs> that's, I think, one of the reasons why you know it's been natural to just have that exchange with uh, Josh, especially, you know, with... The stuff he writes and so i feel like you know that that i think has been kind of fun because growing up in southern california you're constantly uh, exposed to all the entertainment buzz sure. here. and um, it's been always fun to read and part of my going into psychiatry was based on the movies so
2: no really? oh, i didn't know that
1: that's Did, interesting
0: tell us more anish
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um Watching Hannibal Lecter and Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of a psychiatrist. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: what a, man,
0: what a choice.
1: <laughs>
3: so
1: one way? That's what, That's what I want to do. Not the killer part. But. <laughs>
2: And here you are in forensic
0: psychiatry. Yeah, fancy that. So I guess I guess let, just for the listeners, if you're not familiar, let, let's wait. Let's just tally up the years here. So um, for psychiatry, I mean, did you did you fast track through, or did you do for the full adult residency?
1: I fast tracked after.
0: Okay, so so four years. So four years of we won't count college, but you know, four years of medical school. Right? Did you take time off in between, or?
1: I did.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So I did an MPH after med school.
0: Oh geez, okay, all right. Uh,
1: Residency, which was three years of general training, and then uh, two years of child and adolescent psychiatry, and then an additional year of forensic psychiatry.
0: Okay, how much? uh, I lost track of the numbers. How many years is that? It's a lot. A lot of years there. Yeah,
1: that's uh, five and six. 11.
0: <laughs> 11 years. 11 years of training after college.
1: And I'm excited to say that I'm going to be going back to school. I'm going to get a master's degree in uh, legal studies this fall. Wow. Oh, really? Nice. Wow. Nice.
0: <laughs> well, it's a good time to do it right in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, you know? Yeah, why not? Now, now I, I, Anish, you were quite the traveler. And you know, I mean, that—that's really the last couple of years. I mean, that's the only time we really got a chance to see each other. Of course, is at conferences and stuff like that. And you know, uh, you—you've continued to travel a little bit, just getting by from uh, some time uh, in exploring our country. <laughs> um, good for you, good for you. But it—it it is. I it know it's obviously hard. And um, today we're going to be talking. Um, Uh, a little bit also about traveling, um, although it's a different kind of traveling. Uh, So we are, of course, joined together to talk about this particular film, 2017, The Year of Spectacular Men. Um, And it's about, you know, uh, a college senior. She, at this point in the film, she has basically just graduated. She's going to be going to a dinner, one of those awkward post-graduation dinners that you have when people ask you all kinds of weird questions about, as if you have figured your life out. And um, it's a question about sort of going home and summers and sort of how our adolescence seems to be longer now in the last whatever 20 or 30 years than it probably was in, you know, earlier in history. But uh, why don't we go ahead and watch the minute and then we'll be back. And so this is minute 28 going into 29. So if you are following along at home.
2: Soul walkers. We're not defined by societal conventions. We're not in anything. We're on a journey. Uh, this
0: is uh, uh, Izzy's mom and I her think partner. I've
2: been age said until I'm like past enlightenment. Oh, so I hear you're moving back to LA to live with your sister. Yep, just going right for the jugular. <sighs> Look, mom,
1: moving back home after college is a totally legitimate rite of passage
2: wearing a choker made from old tights. I totally did that. Or owning a Furby backpack. Did you have the all black one or the spotted one with the pink feet? I had the all black one. <laughs> oh, <that's> nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, I know they are radical.
1: Honey, I know you just graduated and life might seem a bit, you know, overwhelming. You've always been a little bit confused about your purpose. The ceramics were a low point, but no one's path is a straight line more
0: like a squiggle. okay so, so uh in there is about the whole idea of moving back home after college and um you know sort of what's next after graduation you know it's a it's a hard it's a hard time you know a lot of folks life because uh people adults are past that point will look back and say like oh these are supposed to be the best years of your life enjoy it live it up all that kind of stuff and you might be doing that but on the other hand you may also be equally as confused and trying to figure yourself out and not really knowing where to turn to answers what did you guys do after college
2: well i was i was i mean i think that was a really difficult time for me personally because i intended to just go straight to medical school and that didn't, wasn't coming to fruition. It, it became apparent I was gonna have to take some time, which actually was in retrospect, probably the best thing I could have done and used a, a college a connection through the university to work at um, Harvard AIDS Research Center and and did um, actually HIV vaccine design and uh, was worked that. on, yeah, yeah, actually <laughs> some really, really amazing research with, um, the great uh doctors bruce walker and paul farmer and um it was it was an incredible two years uh of my life that i would not trade for anything but at the time i have a very very firm recollection of a profound disappointment that i wasn't starting medical school right out of college and that this, this was some sort of failure um, which of course it, it it turned out to be be a blessing in disguise but it, it really felt bad
0: mm your path was a bit of a squiggle.
2: A squiggle, yes. Yeah. A little bit of a squiggle, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Anish, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, similar to Kathy, and I think probably a little bit tougher. Um, I had come out of college, uh, and I graduated early um, with a pretty competitive degree, uh, which I, I came out riding high, and I thought, you know, I was a bit of a hot shot. And, you know, <laughs> right after... Or right during the, the u.s and global recession that was going on and
3: yeah oh yeah
1: like research funding i hadn't intended on going to medical school i had no interest in going to medical school i hadn't actually wanted to do research
3: mm-hmm. in yeah.
1: uh, neurosciences but the research funding had just kind of dwindled and so i found myself for the year after uh, undergrad um, working at dollar tree you know which was so it was it was fun it's a fun job, but it wasn't what I had expected to do with a bachelor's degree in neuroscience, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a bit tough. And then I did substitute teaching. Um, but it was also the year that, uh, I lost my grandma who I am very close to. I had grown up with her. She had lived with us my whole life. And, uh, you know, when I look at that, I am happy that I got to spend that last year with her. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it certainly wasn't what I would have planned. And, um, I do think the substitute teaching and the working at Dollar Tree, they gave me some more concrete life skills. Yeah. Of, and so that helped. But um, I, it was a pretty tough year, you know, just like Kathy said, I think uh, you come out with all these expectations and all these dreams uh, and uh, you kind of realize that
2: it's not that easy.
1: Right. 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 And you were a teacher as well.
2: Yeah, well, well, that was so, so, <laughs> you know, it, it always sounds cool, right? doing an HIV vaccine design, but like when you get to the nitty-gritty, it's it's actually what they keep talking right now with the, the pandemic about sequencing. I did a lot of sequencing, which was painfully boring. I mean, like C G T <laughs> so boring um and also I I, you know, I realized working in a lab um was was not my forte and so I I did um some time as a as a high school math teacher um in in a sort of a, a short-term gig where they needed um someone to help um high school students pass a standardized exam to graduate and I worked in the Boston Public Schools doing that so mm-hmm. it was a it was a rewarding job, but I think I don't. I don't know how, how the impact it had on you and it, it became very clear f- from my work as a high school teacher that I there were such bigger problems <laughs> than education that my students were facing. Sure. that really felt like I, I was only scratching the surface with math, and not, not that it wasn't critically important. That that. And, and teachers do an unbelievable job, but it definitely made me want to sort of dig deeper into the sort of psychosocial aspects of my, of the kids I was working with their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would totally agree. It changed the way I looked at, you know, I, and especially it wasn't that long ago that, you know, we'd just been in high school and then um, yeah, you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, there's a lot of things about high school age kids. And, even college-age kids that I had never thought about um, in that way. And, uh, I think you know that might have been the seeds of sort of later psychiatric work
2: or an interest in you know, broader psychosocial
1: interventions.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: A lot of I remember a lot of my students' um, families were in Dorchester and other low-income areas of Boston, and you know, it's like, gosh, having a hard time doing your math, but. You know, your parent was just incarcerated, and there's not enough food, and there's conflict at home, and um, struggling with mental illness. Either in the family themselves, these kids are up against a lot, and and at the same time, they're sort of facing these same uh, personal struggles that that Izzy is of what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? How am I going to be um, a, a member of society? So, yeah.
0: You know, I'm, I'm wondering about, um, so you, you had a bit of a squiggle as well. I'm not even getting into my squiggles, but I mean, the, um, I'm wondering about this idea of when the, the old idea, I think I say quote unquote old, because this idea that, you know, you finish something like high school or college, and now you're, you're ready to go get a job and that kind of thing. And, 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 and move on to the next phase of your life. And, you know, I think for. Uh, Increasingly over the last 20, 30 years, whatever it is, that happens less and less where, you know, either the economy doesn't support it or people are not quite sure exactly what they wanted to do with that college degree. It didn't necessarily prepare them for X, Y, or Z. Uh, They couldn't find a job and whatever. I mean, I studied evolutionary biology after all, so it didn't exactly prepare me for a lot uh, in, in, life. I'm sad to say, uh, but, but yeah, I you know it's this sort of idea of like this adolescence that kind of gets prolonged more and more. And I, I really wonder what's going to happen, you know, what's happening with like COVID and everything like that, where people are not just, you know, it's not just sort of a prolonged, like adolescence in terms of like, in, I don't know, in more figurative terms. I mean, people are literally having to live at home you know for all this time i don't know i don't know what are your thoughts on on that that whole thing going back home after college you know that kind of thing
1: you know one of the things that I, i'm going to first of all say that um the more work i do in this field the more humbled i am by the resilience of young people yeah yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes look at what they go through and like looking at izzy you know I couldn't help but kind of like be you know like inspired by her and admire her that she's saying no it's okay a lot of people do that I'm gonna go back and even if it's a justification if she's rationalizing in her head um that attitude I think had been a lot harder for me yeah um so to see her do that I I am you know over and time, time and over again you know when I see young people um that resilience and their ability to do that, I'm always impressed by it, and and Mm -hmm. I I think I'm always humbled by that resilience. Um, But to your kind of larger thing about what I see these as are sort of like societal rituals, you know, of different stages of your life, you have Mm -hmm. these rituals, um, and our society has changed in such a way, you know, we have these We've had these rituals, we've had these rituals of becoming a man or a woman or, you know, a person. Um, And in the United States, a big part of that was going from high school to college and then Mm -hmm. after college, you know, getting a job or getting on with your real life, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've come to this thing where those rituals have become word and they don't serve the same function. So how do you adapt? Um, Because there's a beneficial component to rituals. Uh, The rituals serve to, you know, just like on an individual level, sometimes they can serve to reduce anxiety Mm -hmm. or they can give structure to someone's life. Uh, They do the same thing on a societal level. Uh, Sure. But when you have a ritual that's become so fossilized and meant for a different kind of lifestyle, a different society, a different period, it becomes hard. How do we help young people like Izzy adapt sort of to or create their own version of the, the ritual to the new landscape that we're looking at? <laughs> and I agree with you, you know, like um, one of the things that uh, with, especially with the pandemic, the hardest thing has been that usually young folks in times of stress or anxiety, you'd hope and you'd expect them to look to their elders or to folks who've had more experience. But this is something that none of us have had experience for or most right. of us. Yeah. And so there's a lot of anxiety even amongst um, parents and grandparents and, you know, folks in society, there's a lot of confusing messages coming out of you know, the government for a long right. time. Yeah. And so it, it didn't help to reduce or give sort of that direction to young people, which I think um, you know, that's hopefully what we got to do a better job of is also to be uh, take care of ourselves and Mm -hmm. also provide that guidance by um, looking at how do we need to react?
3: Right.
0: I I think we're all biased in that, you know, we, uh, we enjoy working with, you know, kids and and young adults, otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. But the kind of it's, it's interesting, listening to folks who say grew up in like the 60s, or the 50, the sort of optimism that, that they experienced for their youth. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get that from a lot of the folks that I see where some of them experience a fair amount of guilt for even going to college or being able to go. They're like, you know, I really shouldn't be here. I should be back at home um, helping with everything that's going on there. Um, I don't really know if this is gonna be help me in the long run at all uh and it's just now i'm gonna leave with a huge amount of debt and so that that sort of sense that this is a time of my life it's my last time in my life where i get to be a kid sort of thing you know there is some of that of course but it's 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 almost i get the feeling there's like a there's like a sword of damocles hanging over their head you know this cloud that at the end of it it's time it's really really no, it's you're adulting the whole time, a little bit at a time, but at the end of it, you have to have that sort of figured out.
2: All in, you're all in. You're,
0: all in. you're like, <laughs> you're like, you know, you you've gone full adult at, by that point, you know. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't. I don't remember, but I I didn't quite get that sense from our peers when we were in school. You're know, all about the same age. I mean. And, you know, granted, that was a while ago. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, there was some of it. Like, there was a thing, where, you know, people would be stressing about getting an internship or yeah. that kind of thing. But the kind of stresses that I see with some of the folks I'm dealing with, it's all, it's like that amplified where, you know, I didn't, you know, people are trying to get um, things for summers. And, uh, you know, speaking of summers and going home, and that, that, I think there's another minute where we're going to talk about just what people do over summers. But I mean, I don't think that was quite there. I don't think it was quite as high pressure. I don't know what your sense is, but because I don't think this is necessarily a psychiatry or mental health kind of thing. I mean, this is sort of a societal kind of shift in some ways, I think.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I am going to put a little plug in for the last uh, book that I read. Yeah. Um, And it just uh, blew my mind away because it was some of the things that we're seeing, but it was very well articulated. It's uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Harari, Mm -hmm. Uh, Harari, and I think he's known for his other works, uh, Homo Deus and Sapiens, but this is his latest work, and it's both chilling, but also um, gives a hopeful message, and one of the things that he talks about, it's chilling in the sense that he talks about the future of humanity in, you know, the automation, and I think this is something that, it, it goes to what you're talking about, is that what purpose to young folks? Are they going to find in their lives? Um, you know, we had that sense of purpose that regardless of what career path we chose, there was something that we were going to find purpose in. It. I think, you know, when you're going through the pandemic right now, first of all, you're having sort of this, not just pandemic as far as your fear of death, but it's it's also the existential crisis that you're going to be facing. Um, and you face an existential crisis as it is when you're graduating college. right, like right, it, right, right. right. Yeah. You know, on top of that, you put you don't know what the certain, you know, the, the future of mankind is uh, in a very real sense. I think uh, it is we are on the cusp of something completely different that it's hard to think about. Um, the, pa- the pandemic, all it's done is it's accelerated a lot of trends that we were seeing in society you know, as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you make some great points about that, that. Uh, You know, should I be back home and working? Should I be helping my family out? Um, uh, Harari, in his book, he really hammers the point is that what we should be teaching young folks is not these technical skills. Because the reality is that, you know, higher mathematics, higher even, you know, biological facts. These are not things that we're going to have to memorize or remember. Because these are going to be in computer, you know, databases. We're going to be able to use computers to help them or used automated systems to help us um but what we're really going to have to focus on are things like caring about each other and about um knowing ourselves and you know i think there's a lot of mental health aspects to what he's describing and it is taking the time to kind of really get to know who we are um and what better time than you know <laughs> the college age when folks are naturally Very there trying to you know he talks about going even earlier, which I, I think is a great idea. Um, but yeah, I, you know, those are, <laughs> that's,
2: very- a, that's a really good point. It, it's mm-hmm. sort of hammering home to me, particularly because we're currently homeschooling our kids in the context of the pandemic, um, and choosing not to to use virtual education for, because our kids are, are, are really young. Um, and, you know, I keep thinking as I'm doing this. So I, we've been doing a curriculum on North American animals, right? And we do different animals, and I don't know, you know, I've daughter, six, um, and I keep thinking like you can Google every like what is the you know, like, I mean, it's fostering curiosity, it's learning how to obtain information, but at the end of the day, like you know. You don't have to go to the giant 20-volume encyclopedia anymore to get an answer to your question. If you have a question, you say, hey, Google, what's the answer to my question? Right. Yeah. So it's just such a different world we live in. And and is, is it really, what should we be teaching? And what's going to allow, sort of bridging back to, to Izzy, what is going to allow folks to transition well into their adult lives? Um, is it raw data or is it a different kind of intelligence?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. Like this, this sort of idea of getting to know yourself better. It's a very, it's like a, it's a very, like, it's a very Bruce Lee, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's appropriate for the, um, you know, the pandemic. I think a lot of people are, are faced with that, those moments of quiet sort of solitude where you're just alone with your thoughts. Uh, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of folks, you know, uh, if things are not going well, then those thoughts spiral downward. I, I, I go back to this, all right, well, I guess, uh, so I, I, I said that, you know, I majored in evolution and biology and it, it I, I don't know what I'd do with it. Um, but, you know, it actually has been helpful at various points. And, you know, this this idea of when we evolve, like it would make sense, logical sense, that when creatures and things evolve, at least on earth, I guess, that they would evolve sort of gradually, you know, right? It's just slow, intermittent, like slow kind of change, like little by little by little, right? But we all know, anybody who's ever done like a term paper or whatever, that although we all have the best of intentions, right, of doing just a little bit at a time, there probably mm-hmm. are some people that can do that. Uh, you know who you are, people. <laughs> um, we tend to work in fits and starts, and, you know, nothing would get done if it weren't for a, a crisis, right? So, right. You may plan and da da, da da but then the night before you're like ah, you know, and then you there's a whole lot that gets done in a very short period of time, and then and you're like oh whoa it's a snow day whatever uh, it's not due today, and then you put it off for a little bit more time because you didn't quite finish everything. You're like we're just we have been good enough. And then you know then the, then the deadline really comes and then you like scramble and try to get it all done again you know so there's this this idea that I mean, again it's a competing theory you know this idea of like sort of punctuated equilibrium where we go through like periods of stasis where nothing really changes and i think we see this in our patients we see this in our own lives nothing really changes where we kind of get used to the status quo even though the status quo is not all that great but then there's some kind of crisis that causes us to reevaluate everything and that's what really sparks change and then, then a change happens, but then we go back to stasis again mm-hmm. um, until something else causes us to you know, make that next step. And I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm kind of hoping in some ways that it is awful you know, whatever difficult this has all been, like in all these different changes that there will be, we'll, we'll reach a new state of equilibrium, right? You know, like if you look at all the, the, the it's like the, the um, civil rights movement in the 60s, right? We got to a certain point there was big you know crisis there And we got to a certain point but then things kind of like you know they kind of like got stuck for a little while and then there were some little changes here and there and then then he had to wait a couple decades you know for things to finally come to enough of a head for you know things to be recognized for what they've always been and so it's like i wonder if that will happen i wonder yeah. if that will affect um how we Think about adolescence you know mm-hmm. we use these terms prolonged adolescence it's almost like kind of like a
2: it's you know drugatory.
0: yeah it's, it mm-hmm. does doesn't it feel like kind of you know like a, a negative kind of thing like like you know grow up already you know mm-hmm. stop living in your mom's basement get a job
2: <laughs> well we just don't i think one of the big challenges that i see is that we don't match up brain development with societal expectations, sure. right? We just those things are—it's s- such a mismatch. The juvenile justice system guess, is yeah. the best example yeah, of sure. that, right? It was yeah. huge mismatch,
3: yeah.
2: um, and for some reason, despite all this knowledge that we've gained, there's still this huge mismatch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nice yeah absolutely. Science, you know, in the making of policy. a policy.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. So. Um, you know, if we, we if we look at brain development, right, the idea of a prolonged adolescence totally makes sense. The brain is not, is not you know, fully mature. I mean, it never really fully, I mean, it always changes, but I mean, there's there's a lot of development that's, that's continuing to happen, you know? I don't know, I, I mean, I wonder, sometimes I wonder if this is a uniquely kind of, you know, kind of Western, like American kind of problem, because in some other places, you know, you would live with your parents until right. you would get married. Although that may be actually a lot younger too, so that there's a whole other side of things there. But the idea that you're going to um, you're going to kind of find your way and figure yourself out, and you're going to move out and establish independence, I mean, it is a pretty Western kind of thing, right? Whereas in some other places in the world, it doesn't happen that way. You you may be responsible for taking over the family business, or or whatever, or you're going to do what your parent it may be an arranged marriage or something like that. You're just going to do that because that was the choice that you had or which may not necessarily be a choice, but...
1: I, yeah, I think there is something to that, and I would say not even necessarily Western, uh, probably a very specific, individ- you know, like American exceptionalism. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, right. As you do see, what you're talking about, like, you know, like, having generations of makers, for example, uh, you can see that even in Europe. Right. Yeah. And there's some... Again, it, it's sort of that formality, and it, it provides structure to someone's life. You know, we tend to think of it because of the way we grew up in this country, as that's uh, you know it's settling. There's a derogatory or pejorative mm-hmm. kind of way of talking yeah. about that. Yeah, but there is a certain certainty and there's a um, reassurance of kind of okay, well that's the family business and this is what I'm going to do, and um, I don't have to decide or choose to kind of figure out my life. Yeah. That aspect of my life has been decided. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But. The other aspects, you know, um, I did spend four years of my adolescence, or my pre-adolescence, not my adolescence, in India, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, a very different culture, but I would think uh, some of the struggles that they face as adolescents are very similar to what we face about identity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not so much identity as far as professional identity, which is a big thing. And not certainly not the identity that we're talking about in this country about moving out, Mm -hmm. the stuff that you're seeing in uh, Izzy, uh, or even um, finding the perfect partner. Right. Different issues that. um, But having a family member, like having a sibling who is uh, outperforming you, who's doing really well, I think that's something that's universal. Like we can see that there's always comparison, even in in any household. Like, well your brother or your sister or, you know, so-and-so. So so that aspect is pretty universal. Um, Finding a group identity is pretty universal. Uh, But the idea of what's home, I think that's a really, that's a really interesting one. Right. Even in, um, you know, there's very classic Indian cinema that also looks at this issue of, uh, you know, the, um, the youth who left for his education to go to England or mm-hmm. abroad, they got their education. And when they come back, are they coming back home? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, is it home? Is, is it changed? I think that's something that we face even here.
3: Um,
1: sure. Although yeah. it kind of flips down on, on its head. <laughs> he yeah. tries to normalize it. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly normal.
0: Yeah. Although those those conflicts definitely arise right later on later on in the film yeah so yeah i mean we we've we've touched on a whole bunch of th- different things as you can probably tell we don't have answers we have lots more questions though and that's that's what happens when you bring up a topic like that i think is you you get lots more questions i mean i think the i think for parents teachers uh other psychiatrists you know primary care folks you know who are having these conversations with with uh, folks who are probably of Izzy's age, I mean, I, th- you know, I think I think it's tough. I think probably the best thing you can do is keep an open mind, you know. And um, I think folks want to know that there is a safe landing spot for them. It's it's nice to know because that gives security to allow it to make choices and to, and to, to have things not necessarily go well because chances are your life may, may very well be a squiggle. <laughs> and that's okay. Is there anything in particular you want to plug, Anish, before we uh, wrap up this minute?
1: For all the listeners, um, if you have folks in your life that are of this age, you know, this is it is a perilous age, but it's also an age of opportunity. So you know, if, uh, there's a way that you can nurture their independence and nurture their growth. Uh, this is when it would matter. This is when it's going to make a big difference for them to have somebody who is there for them, but who's not telling them what to do. I am involved in an organization you know, that looks at the legal system, the American Psychiatric Association Foundation. They do a lot of work with uh, the legal system, like, for example, with judges and how mental health impacts the young person's development. So I work with an extreme population, but uh, I, I definitely enjoy and, uh, and I find it very rewarding to do work with the APA, the American Psychiatric Association.
0: Well, uh, thank you for your work. Thank you for coming on the show. We'll be back and you'll, uh, we're going to be talking about another particular topic, actually another family sort of related topic. So we'll look forward to having you then. Uh, until then, thank you for joining us on the psych movie minute podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.